Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. This week, um, the four of us, Gerald, Anager, Maggie and Darren, have been recovering from the Game of Thrones finale from last week. I'm still really hurt. I don't know how everyone else feels, but <laughs> I feel a <laughs> sense of grief that is inconsolable. <laughs> Me too. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, but... In order to con- in order to console ourselves, we went to see John Wick three Parabellum in the cinemas instead. Um, so yeah, John Wick three Parabellum. This is going to be a full spoilers podcast of John Wick three. Um, yeah, let's get started. Um, this is like I'll I'll why don't why don't I get started? Is everyone okay with that? Um, yep. I think this was a pretty darn good action film and a pretty solid entry into a franchise that basically came from nowhere. A franchise that had no place being a franchise. A franchise that was not based on a book or like any sort of existing graphic novel or anything like that. Just Keanu Reeves, a pretty sort of... Keanu Reeves, who like everyone knows is not the world's best actor, but is just... puts it on his shoulders and basically makes another super interesting franchise that is like steadily like building itself with like really solid films and I think John Wick 3 this this next film in the John Wick franchise was a really solid film um I really enjoyed it I thought it was an incredibly intense movie I thought um the action scenes were so interesting right like genuinely interesting artistic innovative action scenes now um like Amongst my friends, we we kind of have this little ongoing joke where we kind of like say that John Wick is high art. Basically, like amongst our friends, I've, I, like at the time I was trying to get Mags to see this film, and so basically we were saying, "Oh, it's real high art, so you should go see John Wick One." Now, <laughs> the thing is though that I actually think that even though we meant that as like a sort of a joke I actually think that the action scenes in John Wick are innovative enough to like in this film they've actually turned action scenes into an art form because literally every action scene has a different point of interest that is completely different from the previous action scene and that point of interest builds not only interest but genuine tension and like you, you, you can't stop stop watching it. It's just su- such a such an interesting set of action scenes. Like, I mean, the film is basically just action scenes back to back to back. The opening of this film is an action scene with a fight in a library where John Wick kills a dude with a book, right? And that's followed by a scene in Chinatown where they fight each other with antiques, and then a scene in a s- stables where they use the horses to kill each other, right? So... It's like I. It's the way they use action is like I. I think there's definite artistry in the way um, they do action. Um, and I, I was looking a little bit into the background, and I think the director of this film, Ch- Chad Stahelski, I want to say, is actually an ex stunt man and stunt coordinator. So that kind of says a lot, right? Because there's so much thought and effort 
put into these action sequences that it kind of makes sense that the director is someone who is well versed in this in this sort of um, form of expression. Um, so yeah, like I, th I thought it was a super fun, um, incredibly violent, incredibly intense action film. Um, there were some false notes, but I'm sure like someone else will pick those up. But generally, I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, and I actually can't wait for the next film in the John Wick franchise. Good on him. <laughs> Who wants to go next? <laughs> Jerry? Mags? Yeah. Okay, I'll go next. Um, I would heartily endorse everything that you've just said, Darren. Yeah. Um, the funny thing about the John Wick franchise is um, more so than almost any action franchise out there right now, it is committed to uh, demonstrating the beauty of fight choreography. Um, and, you know, when we first saw the original John Wick, and in particular, first watched the nightclub sequence, the red circle scene, in which um, he mows down all these baddies in a nightclub um, and just looks incredible doing so. That was the first time I think Western cinema had done gun through right and had choreographed an action scene as intricately and beautifully as anything we saw in that most awesome and intense of action film franchises, The Raid Redemption and The Raid to Barandal, the two Indonesian action movies that absolutely knocked audiences off their seats um, a few years ago. So, um, and in John Wick 2, we saw the aesthetic taken to another level because not only was the fight choreography beautifully done in that movie, the cinematography was incredible. The play of neon on shadow um, gave it, gave the, the movie this sheen of slickness and beauty that otherwise uh, an action movie would not have. And what's particularly unique about these films, particularly in, particularly the, in the post-born post era of handheld cameras and quick cuts, is that these action sequences, these fight scenes, are presented in these extremely long takes. So you see everything. You, 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 there's a real understanding of where in space everyone is and what is going on. So the the action speaks for itself. It is not dependent upon camera trickery and clever editing to uh, give you a sense of intensity. And that's really what is remarkable and unique about uh, this particular franchise, I think, that the, the, the action is presented on screen in a relatively simple manner for you to see um, and uh, and you get to see it, you get to see it all you get to understand what's going on in a way that um, you know you don't you don't so you wouldn't associate say with um, the born supremacy or the born ultimatum so I thought this was um, this was a, a, a great a great piece of action filmmaking What's interesting to me as well is that the world building of the John Wick movies has become more elaborate with each with each film, and it's quite obvious that they're they're just making it up as they go along, um, because the world the, the mythology is let's face it stupid. Um, it was kind of cool in the first movie to see like this assassin's hotel in the middle of New York. Um, it was 
kind of cool. I mean, the, the concept of the high table was introduced in John Wick Chapter Two, and you know, it's not it's not a it's not it's not the stupidest thing I've ever seen in a movie. But in this movie, with the shift of the action to the desert and the introduction of the elder, um, the world building kind of falls apart. But that that aside, I, I don't think this movie gets a note wrong. It's probably too long in its final act. And some of the action, some of the gunplay in the final act is probably a bit less innovative and interesting than um, some of the previous gunfight scenes in the franchise. But hey, you know, you got those first three action scenes in the the first twenty minutes of the film, and an incredible sequence featuring Halle Berry and Keanu Reeves and a couple of dogs taking on basically an army in Morocco. Uh, it was that was such an exhilarating moment, and to see. Halle Berry, who has been stuck in so many shitty action movies for much of her career, finally kicked some real ass and owned the screen was really refreshing. So, all in all, great time in the cinema. Yep, agreed, agreed. Fully agreed, Gerald. And I think also that, like, when you talked about the desert, for me, that was also the false note. I felt that those scenes in the desert didn't quite fit in, but we, we can talk about that a little bit later on. Um, Mags, Anager, who wants to shoot next? Max? Yeah, I'll go next. Um, I completely agree with everything that Darren and Gerald just said. Um, I'll fess up. When I watched the initial movie after much nagging from Darren to come and watch it with him, um, I thought it was too violent and it felt a bit senseless. Um, But after watching John Wick 1 and John Wick 2 and then watching John Wick 3, I've fallen in love with the franchise. I will admit it. I will say it out loud. I will announce it publicly. I actually really, really enjoy this whole franchise. Um, I, I think the action see, um, scenes were really well choreographed, stylized, split. It felt like this violent ballet being played out by Keanu Reeves, who we mustn't forget is over 50 years old and reportedly still does between 80 to 90% of his own action sequences. So that's pretty amazing. Mm. Uh, for me, it feels... it The whole um, series, particularly this movie, um, feels a bit like an adult anime series that's come to life. So it's almost like this fantasy parallel universe where there's this rules-based order based around the entity called the high table, um, as Gerald mentioned. Um I like that they did make an effort, even though it might feel like they're just piecing it together as it as they go along. Um, I suppose that's a bit of the fun of it with this franchise. They're making up a completely original story, um, movie by movie, and at the same time making an effort to try and create a cohesive and consistent world, uh, like internally within the world. Um, so with in jokes, repeated lines, that sense of history or legend. I mean, I like the fact that in this movie in particular, they had the different um, goons talk about their admiration for John Wick, and he seems to know all of them as well, and there's this kind of sense of respect between um, the the different assassins. Um, so I, I liked how they built that into it a bit more. Um, some of the, my favourite scenes were, were more around that, that sense of fun, so, for example, um, in the Morocco scene after Halle Berry loses it, um, when um, Ron, 
I can't remember the name of the character, um, shoots one of her dogs. She just goes nuts. She looks at John Wick and, you know, with this look of absolute senseless rage on her face and says, he just shot one of my dogs. And he looks at her and says, I get it. You know, with the Keanu Reeves dead plan delivery, which he can only do because that's the only way he can act. Um, (laughs) I love that. And I also loved the concierge in the hotel when he's in the basement with the shot, the giant shotgun. He's about to shoot up a whole bunch of other goons and he looks at the camera and he pushes up his glasses with a sense of intensity. That I absolutely <laughs> loved well. So I liked how, you know, even though they're trying to create this new franchise, they're not taking themselves seriously and they're not taking that idea of creating this whole new action franchise too seriously as well. Yeah. So all in all, I loved it. Um, there are some good mm-hmm. points there, Max, that I, I, I think I'd like to explore a little bit more after Anager. Um, gives her impressions and specifically the points around um, well firstly like why you kind of felt like the intensity of the violence was okay after a while and secondly um, like this this idea of um, parody almost right like this like how the film doesn't really take itself super seriously as well like I, I think that those are really interesting points to unpack um but firstly, Anna Jo, like, what did you think? I agree with everything all of you have said. At the same time, to me, John Wick 1 is one of the few movies that has a place in my heart. Wow. Like, I have <laughs> such fondness. It's like, I love that movie. And I never expected to, and I do. Um the subsequent two movies, including Parabellum, have not lived up to that for me. So what I think is missing from these movies, I actually think the action has gotten more and more intense. It's gotten better. It has gotten more artistic. It's also gotten more violent, and that's been difficult for me. But I think what's missing in these two movies that was present in John Wick 1, and I can't articulate it concisely, but it's something about that story, right? We start off, John Wick is completely defeated. We don't know him as, like, a, almost a superhero. That's not who we know. It's just the man who's attending his wife's funeral, and he is devastated. He's defeated. He's in so much grief, and he has this vulnerable little puppy that is trying to soothe his heart that was a present from his dead wife. And when these, like total a-holes burst into his house and they kill that puppy and they knock him over the head and kick him stuff that they really shouldn't have been able to do because the superhero that he is there's no way they would have been able to do that to him but the movie sets it up that way so he is completely down and defeated i just felt so much for him in that moment that when the movie did a massive right turn and suddenly with the click of a, you know, with the flick of a switch, built him as this invincible superhero with a lot of humour around it, with all the fable and the mythology and the admiration and all of that stuff. With the I pencil. Was, with the pencil. The pencil. Oh, with the pencil. The fucking pencil. <laughs> right. So when they, when they did that, I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> I was 
so behind him because he was the downtrodden, you know, and yet he wasn't. And I was so there in my heart. I loved him so, and I wanted him to just crush these people. And when he did, I was all, yes, you know, I realized that everything I wanted was going to be given to me, and there wasn't going to be any loss. There wasn't going to be any sadness. I was going to get everything I wanted. <laughs> Like a certain other series that we won't go into. <laughs> Theon Greyjoy so, also he, gets a satisfying character arc in John Wick he does, One. He does. He does. Um, and so that I think is why that movie lives in my heart and always will. And the other two movies just don't have that because two two years have gone since we remembered that origin and now he's just an invincible superhero and so i don't have that same heart connection to him that i did in that first movie so now all there is is action the other thing is that first movie had a level of humor that a type of humor that i don't think they've managed to replicate in this third movie i think they've actually substituted campness for that humor and it's not the same and i don't like it as much um so so that's that point. In terms of the action, I just think it's just it is such high art and some of the scenes are spectacular. Like when they put when they intermix ballet with um, these gruesome fight scenes and it's just so beautifully done. I, uh, even the knife the knife scenes are amazing. But it's gotten to a point where I can't actually handle it emotionally, mentally anymore. It is too much for me. Like that nice scene, while I can appreciate that it's incredible, I can't look at people being treated like pin cushions and these knives just being thrown as though these human bodies don't matter. And I can't handle the zero point, whatever, you know, the, the guns straight to the head, head explosions as though these bodies are not real. I, I can't handle that. So it was hard and difficult to watch it. And I tried really hard to like not feel that way and to just enjoy it because I love this franchise and I do recognize how artistic and talented all of this is, but it was too much for me. Mm. Okay. Well, that's a good segue into um, like both points, basically that um, we were talking about um, that. I wanted to explore a little bit more. Was there anything else you wanted to add? Before we move no, look, I love the world building. Agree with all of you that all of it was good except for the other, and that was ridiculous. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I think let's get into the sort of look. I, I think, Anija, I agree with you that John Wick One on balance is still the best of these films, um, simply because it does come out of left field and it is. Mm. Um, like from a story perspective, it's much more compact, right? It tries to do a lot less. It does very like compact world building, right? Mm. It's, it's very like concise. Mm. Um, doesn't really let a lot out, but lets out enough to be interesting. Um, so I agree that the first film is definitely the the best of the films. And I think actually, the first film for me, when I watched that film, I read it as a because at the time, like, you have to remember, at the time John Wick 1 was released, there were all these, like, you know, Taken had just been released, and there mm. were all these Taken films, or Taken-style films, many with Liam Neeson as the main character as well, <laughs> right? Like, um, being released. And so you were going through this sort of phase in cinema where there was just, like, a huge amount of revenge porn, essentially, right? And... Mm. 
I remember John Wick came out, and the premise seemed so ridiculous, right? Like, his dog gets killed, and he just goes on this revenge tear. And I, I watched... thought you would find that perfectly plausible, Derek. Well, it, like, when you watch it, it's absolutely plausible. But, like... And I totally identified with Halle Berry, because if anyone heard my dog, I'd probably go off the chain as well. But, um, like, I think... Like, at the time, I read John Wick almost as a parody of those revenge films. Like, a really clever parody that kind of lent into it, right? Not, like, a parody that was, like, oh, like, I'm better than that sort of film. But almost, like, you know, this sort of film is getting ridiculous, but I'm going to lean into it and really show you how ridiculous this sort of film can get, right? And I felt like the direct, like, the creators of John Wick 1 absolutely knew, like the place of this film within that sort of pantheon of revenge films, right, that was going on at that time. Now, I think what's missing since then in John Wick 2 and John Wick 3 is that artistically it's it's no longer just a sort of... It's it's no longer like a sort of... A, a, a sort of a parody or a homage, I guess. Mm. I don't know what the right word is, right, of, of those sorts of films. It kind of has needed to become its own sort of thing, right? So it, it's kind of like trying to find its way a little bit, right? So I can, I can totally, I, I totally get why the second and the third film don't have the same sort of impact as the first film, because um, basically because of exactly where that first film is situated in the grander universe of action films and sort of revenge films at that time. Um, yeah, but I, I kind of wanted to unpack this idea of because I, I think Mags, it was interesting, Anja, that you said that um, you couldn't take that level of violence, and the level of violence is crazy intense, right? And mm-hmm. I, I kind of wanted mm-hmm. to unpack why Mags, because Mags initially, when she watched John Wick one or two, like uh, one and two, um, she also said to me that it was just, it was just too much. But definitely in this film, at one point, I turned to Mags and I was like are you okay with this? And she was like, Mags basically, something switched, and she was like, well, (laughs) I kind of see this a little bit differently now, so I'm kind of okay with it. So I kind of wanted to understand, because Mags, you said that you felt like it had become a cartoon almost, right? It was like Yeah, that's what I thought was was behind that. Yeah, Yeah. you cartoonized it, yeah. Yeah, it it just became, like it changed from being a, a, a movie about and this is the thing, like, I think it's quite interesting. Um, it became almost like a like a superhero movie, almost like, a, a, like a, as I said, a, an anime series that's come to life. And the moment I sort of started to, to view it in, through that lens, the violence became less real. Um, and, I, I mean, I, I wasn't... Every time there was... Um, a scene that where it was kind of crescendoing to this, this insane amount of violence, I did look away. So, for example, when Anna was describing the pincushion human mm. <laughs> moments, um, when that started to get too intense, I would look away from the screen as well um, and cringe. But I also was thinking about it more conceptually as, well, this isn't real. It's not like when I first watched John Wick 1 and it just felt like a revenge movie that's gone a little bit too far. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Yeah. Because, um, Jerry, did you ever, did you have any qualms about the violence in, in John Wick? Well, the series in general and specifically in this film? 
not not until not until I think the final act of this of this particular movie. Um, I like to compare the John Wick franchise and its relationship with violence to what remains still the most violent movie I've ever seen, but one which one which causes me no trouble in terms of its violence, and that is Kill Bill Volume One. Kill Bill Volume mm. One is an extraordinarily violent film. Limbs and heads and various other body parts get hacked off. Um, with great frequency in that movie, and it is it is quite possibly the single most blood-soaked film I've ever seen. But the the violence in that movie is so cartoony, so over the top. The blood just spurts out of like amputated limbs, uh, like a fire hose, um, that one can't help but find it all rather funny. And there's a scene in which the bride has sort of um, has sort of hacked off the limbs of everyone in the I'm thinking of the Crazy Eighty Eight. And there's a shot of them in the uh, on the floor of uh, Lucy Liu's um, hideout, where you know it's just dudes with uh, without arms or without legs, and they're all sort of writhing around in pain. There's blood everywhere, but it's actually quite funny. Um, the, mo- the the violence in in the John Wick movies is more realistic than that, and so it's it's harder, I think, to achieve the same level of distance from the violence and the impact of that violence. Um, than with Kill Bill Volume One, uh, the other th- what what allows you to achieve distance, I think, in, particularly in the first and second movies, is the fact that um, particularly with the gunplay, um, there's a there's a there's an ele- element of dance about it. I keep going back to the red circle scene in the first John Wick, the nightclub scene, and you know he's sort of shooting people without he, he's sort of ter- shooting people without actually seeing them. He's sort of like um, he, he sort of walks into a room. Um, some, someone sort of sneaks out at him from his left, but without even turning his head left, he just turns around. He just shoots them. And so there's an element of, there's an element of dance about that uh, where the choreography um, is, comes to dominate the scene and, and, and the, the choreography is what allows you to achieve a, a degree of distance from the horror of the violence. I thought in the final act of this movie, particularly when you know, the, the, the armoured personnel invade the Continental and John Wick and the concierge played by Lance Reddick have to go around um, killing every one of them. Um, I thought that was when the gun violence was probably a bit too much because there was nothing particularly playful, inventive or dance-like about the gunplay in that, in that entire sequence, not like the nightclub sequence in the first John Wick and certainly not like the uh, Roman Ruin sequence in John Wick Chapter 2. Uh, so... It felt more like it felt more like a combat film, and we've seen lots of you know sort of combat style shootouts in movies made by people like Michael Mann and so on um, over many many decades. And when you don't have the element of play or dance to help you achieve a degree of distance, I think that the violence presented in that manner can be quite confronting because particularly when they started using the pump action shotguns and basically. Uh, shooting people point blank with these pump action um, guns, uh, and you have these sort of massive explosions of red mist whenever um, one of one of the one of the baddies gets hit. Um, so I think that was probably the point at which uh, I found the violence most disturbing. And then after that, when there was more hand to hand combat, I actually found it a little uninteresting because there's a there's one shot in which um, the two Indonesian blokes from the raid. Um, throw oh no it's not them it's the other it's the other pairing throw John Wick through about five glass cases yeah yeah and 
after about two, you're like, yeah, I kind of get the message here. And I think a lot of the hand-to-hand combat scenes in the in the final act of the movie, while not as gruesome or gory, were certainly less interesting. I mean, I, I imagine a great deal of effort went into choreographing these fights, but they weren't quite as impressive as the fights in either the Raid Redemption or the Raid 2 Berendar. Um, and so these just felt like an attempt to... Uh, mimic those sorts of fights, even having two of the pe- people from the raid in them, the two Indonesian guys. But um, but at the same time, they, they just felt really too long and a bit dull, such that by the time he got to the, the, the bald man and there was this fight scene that seemed to go forever, I'd kind of checked out a bit. So I think the thing about this movie and, and, and its violence is um, in, the, in the final act, the gunplay was more disturbing and more disconcerting and more unsettling than in the previous two movies. And I, I think the hand-to-hand combat somewhat less interesting as well. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I guess my, my take on this is that I, I would probably agree with Matt. Like, as in, this this idea that it felt like an anime, I, I genuinely felt like, in many ways, this felt like an anime that was done live-action, right? Because, not just because of the outlandish, like, backstory and the outlandish world that they... In, they inhabit right because the world they inhabit feels really anime right like but like just even like i mean when you watch sort of cartoon well like specifically japanese cartoon action scenes like there's this kind of term stylish hard action right which which they use like it was actually coined for a video game devil may cry years and years ago right but like when I watch John Wick, it's like it's stylish, hard action, right? It 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 like, and like often in those sorts of um, shows and those sorts of action scenes, right? It almost feels a little bit like a video game where the other guys are basically just there to facilitate that ballet. So um, yeah, but uh, so I, I guess for me, like I kind of like rationalize it away in in that way right that it's almost like they're just that they feel almost just like accessories in the environment to like facilitate the ballet but obviously if you genuinely think about it it is it is quite gruesome right um yeah i think um yeah like it's interesting that you didn't like the last the the hand-to-hand combat scenes towards the back end and you didn't like the um the, the gunplay when they stormed the hotel. I, I I personally thought it was actually interesting, a scenario... Like, what I liked was the play on this idea that John Wick, up to this point, has been this demon of headshotting guys, right? Like, he... he Like, if you were playing a video game, it would be like he's got the cheat code that, like, gives him the, like, auto-aim on the guy's head, right? So... Um, it was interesting that they kind of like with this guy that is like has homing on people's heads um, you put him up against a bunch of dudes that basically can't get headshotted Um, so I thought that was interesting but I take your point that it probably went a little bit overboard and it went a little bit over long right I I think they could have probably condensed that scene a little bit and like but I, I thought it was interesting how he had to adapt and basically go to a much more close quarters style of fighting um, instead of this sort of close to mid-range style of fighting that he originally used. Um, yeah. Um, the glass case scene, I actually thought was was parody, <laughs> almost, right? Because he, he 
like the first time they kick him into the glass, the glass doesn't break, and it almost there's like almost a cartoon scene when his face splats against the glass. Uh, I want to I want to say like uh, I'm not sure if my memory is 100% right, but it 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 feel, felt cartoony, and then subsequently it was almost like. Oh, you thought the class couldn't break? We're going to break as many of these glass cases as, as we possibly can. Um, I thought that was kind of like the tongue-in-cheek behind it, but I, I, I do also understand that those fight scenes were would have been exhausting to pull off in real life, and they were really long. Because if you think about it, it was actually three hand-to-hand fight scenes back-to-back. Because he knocks off the two goons who were fighting him in the glass, and then he fight, fights the two Indonesian... Is, are they... Were they Indonesian, Jerry? The, the guys yeah, from the yeah, radio. Yeah, they, they, they were two Indonesian. Yeah. They were both Indonesian. Yeah, and they fight those two Indonesian guys, and then he fights Mark Dacascus, right? So it's like three ultra-long hand-to-hand fight scenes back-to-back. So I agree that, like, they probably overindulged a little bit um, in that, but um, as someone who's very fond of um, hand-to-hand fighting, um, I... Was I was okay with it, right? Because I I love seeing like sort of like jujitsu and like just like funky kicks and fighting. <laughs> right? That's that's right up my alley. Um, so yeah. Um, okay, like okay. I also wanted to have a quick chat um, about um, this sort of world building, um, and I wanted to get everyone's views on whether we like the world building or not. Now. It was interesting that Jerry said that he wasn't super keen on the world building, and you felt that it was a little bit piecemeal. Um, is is that a, a fair summary of, of your thoughts, Jez? Or yeah, I mean, it's, you... not, it's not. It's not that I don't. I don't like it. I think. I think in, in the first movie, when we get introduced to the Continental and the world of shadows for which mm-hmm. the Continental is a sort of sparkling, glittering, glamorous face, I actually really like that. And I also, again, quite like the world building in the second one, even though it, it, it was showing signs of having been just made up um, ad hoc. So, you know, the high table sounds awfully pretentious, um, but I kind of I kind of dug it. It was it's like it was in fitting with the con- with the world. Uh, it was consistent with a world in which the continental would exist. And in John Wick Chapter Two, we also get. Uh, introduced to the Roman branch of the Continental, etc. So I thought that was that was fine. I think where the movie just went a bit too far was with was with the Elder, mm. and mm-hmm. you'll recall that Bron or Jerome Flynn uh, tells uh, John Wick that the way to find the Elder is you go out of the desert, you walk until you can't walk any further, then you walk a little more. And just as about just as you're about to to, to pass out and die, maybe the, the other will find you. Maybe he won't. And I thought that was a metaphor. Yes, right? I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he followed instructions. <laughs> uh, and and that's what I thought. You know what? That, that's that's a bit dumb. Like, the, so what does the elder do? Does he sort of wander from point to point of the Sahara, just picking up sort of like desperate assassins that come to find him? I thought that was just a bit dumb. And 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 you're like this dude in the middle of the desert who's sort of like picking up half dead assassins. He's above the high table. Are you serious? But the, the so, other thing, the thing was though. Okay, so that scene was problematic not only because I felt that it should have been metaphorical or spiritual in some way, but also. 
when you talked to that guy, it didn't seem like he was above the high table. It just seemed like he was part of the high table. Because his yeah. only solution was basically, so you're going to just, like, get back in with the high table or what? It was just really yeah. weird, right? It didn't feel like he was someone who, like, dominated them or was, like, above their station. It was just like, no, I'm actually just part of the system. Did you yeah. guys find mm. that was weird as well? That, that so was weird. weird. And I think there was also something... Another another false note about that entire sequence was the, the presentation of Morocco and the Middle East. It was big on Orientalism, the notion of the uh, the East as this sort of place of indulgence and exotic, you know, costumes and dancing and food and a culture completely alien to ours. And, you know, to top it all off, they cast as the elder that, that New Zealand actor who's always cast as Arabs in movies. He's, he was the Arab, he was the, he was the bloke with the, he was the Moroccan guy with the fez in Wonder Woman. He was the Iraqi soldier in Three Kings. Uh, he, he's just, he's become like, he's become like, you know, he, he is, he, he's, he's almost sort of like, uh, he is to movies and the Arab role what Randall Park is to the Asian in comedies. Like, um, <laughs> And he's, he's always in that. And so when you t- when you add all that together, you just think to yourself, yeah, I don't know, don't know about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I agree with that. I felt the Elder scene was, was super weird. Like, it, it was this film... I've kind of felt like they could have lifted that out of the film and not lost a lot, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I think the only thing they would have lost is a reason for Halle Berry to be in the movie. And truth be told, I think the scene in which she and John Wick mow down what seems like friggin' a hundred people with, uh, and with the is, dogs. Yeah. It's yeah. Amazing. It's almost, it's almost worth the price of having the elder in the movie. Because uh, <laughs> It is such an incredible sequence. I, I agree. Uh, you know, like often with these sorts of films, you try to rewrite bits that in your head, bits that don't quite make sense. But the thing is that like that action scene, <laughs> like in some ways <laughs> you needed all the other dressing to have that action scene and I'm okay with that on some level right like that was such a cool scene so um yeah um look I I guess um Max do you want to add anything on the world building at all like um uh, I don't know not I guess the only other thing was I was just thinking about Angelica Houston's role um and the and the Belarusians, and I guess in this movie in particular, you get you get a sense of who the different members of the high table are. Um, so I, I'm wondering how they're going to actually use that for the next John Wick movie, John Wick Four. Yeah, look, I, I mean, okay, yeah, my my sense is that the next film is going to be about like an uprising against the high table, right? The way this film ended. Um, look. Overall, I think from a world-building perspective, I still feel like the John Wick films do a very good job of, um, like, as in, they don't make the mistakes a lot of other filmmakers try to fall into, right? Which is, I feel like they don't try to over-explain their world. Now, the problem is that three films deep, there's a certain level of expectation when it comes to world-building, so they have to show more of their hand than in previous films, right? Um, but I think in all three films, they've kind of shown... Look, to be honest, 
let's put aside the elder scene for this film, right? But all the other scenes, I kind of feel like they show as much of their hand as they need to and no more, right? So I think a great example of that in this film, and I I like this, right? I think a great example of that in this film is the adjudicator, right? Who is just a person who basically has no name and gets sent there. She's introduced only as the adjudicator and um, you don't go into her backstory you don't go into how she worked with the high table you don't get to understand exactly how the adjudicator interacts with the high table it's just kind of like accepted right she's some agent of the high table but then they put these like little sort of interesting things so she's got the gaelic i want to say gaelic i I don't know if it is gaelic but i could be wrong so excuse my cultural insensitivity but it looks like some sort of gaelic or Celtic script, like, sort of around her neck, which kind of adds to this sort of sense of mystery and, like, the internationalism of it all, right? Um, And this, like, sort of underworld, like, international underworld connection thing. But they don't feel the need to explain that. I think that's one of the things that these films does well from a world-building perspective is it doesn't over-explain. I mean, on this podcast, we've talked about how films over-explain, like Solo, right? Like, the Solo effect, right? And... I think one of the good things this film does is that it doesn't try to do that. Now, the one exception is that elder scene in this film, which is just like, you didn't need that. And it it felt really out of place because everywhere else, they've I feel like they've tried to be as subtle as possible. And then all of a sudden in this elder scene, they've just been really heavy handed in that sort of world building and storytelling, right? So yeah, that that made that scene stand out even more essentially um yeah um yeah was there anything else we really wanted to talk about did you buy winston betraying john wick at the end um i I, i'm not entirely i'm not entirely convinced that the winston of john wick one and john wick two would have sold John Wick out the way that Winston does in the final five minutes of this movie? Yeah, look, I mean, I kind of... I I agree that it is a shift in character, but, I mean, thematically, this this story has been about, like, um, basically acting emotionally over acting out of... So basically, like people in this in these films take two paths, right? They act out of emotion and out of a sense of personal justice, or they act out of a sense of order or duty to the table, right? And um, basically, the film is about the consequences of doing that, right? I mean, I know that this is not a super deep film when it comes to like thematic storytelling or whatever but I mean the film basically has like it's the main story is basically about the consequences of acting emotionally and outside the established order right and I guess with Winston it's kind of like he acted emotionally and outside of the established order by giving him himself the hour and then in understanding the consequences he kind of wanted to walk that back in the same way that John did and the only difference was that he was cleverer than John, that he was <laughs> he was using him. So in that way, I didn't, like, it didn't, 
I, I didn't love that twist, but I kind of got it, I guess, and it kind of fit into this world of back, like backstabbing and like people throat slitting each other's throats, like this sort of assassin world where there's like this very thin veneer of water, but every, really underlying it all is like a sense of self-preservation, right? Like everybody talks about this sense of order and people persecute each other if they sort of go out of line of this order, but really underlying it all is just this, like, a lot of um, self-serving, um, self-preservation style of behavior. Um, so, I, I thought it was not okay. Not only that, but, but, but Winston, Winston in, in shooting John Wick, also breaks the cardinal rule of the Continental. He did business on Continental grounds. Uh, but then the question is whether she had reinstated the reconsecration at that point. Right. Whether, well, whether it had formally been enacted. Uh, so, I mean, I, I I know you're right. You're right in the sense that, like, like, yeah, I I understand. I understand. No, this is saying. just yeah. this is the just lawyer in me talking. Um, but I mean, this is part of this film, right? Where people like the thin veneer of order is kind of bound to like this sort of lawyering over the details, right? Like, I mean the whole point of one of the dramatic setups for this film is lawyering over the detail of the one hour that Winston gives John Wick, right? So, um, yeah, like, look, I didn't like it because I, I quite like Ian McShane's character and I didn't like that he betrayed John, but at the same time, I, I, I kind of got it. Um, I don't know, Anna Mags, did, did you, did, were you affected the same way by the betrayal? I really didn't think he was betraying him. I thought it was a bit of a setup, but obviously John thought he was betraying him, so now I'm confused. Like, hmm. I thought he had intentionally shot John in the chest area, knowing that John is wearing a bulletproof suit rather than in the face, and just assumed that John would be able to survive falling off that building. Um, because <laughs> if that's not true... <laughs> this is John Wick, Fair right? So... Because if that's not the case, I think that would be really weird because Winston has gone out of his way to save John and you think loyalty to your friends is quite important in this world and why he would trust the high table over John, I don't really know. So that would be confusing to me. Um, but clearly John does think he's been betrayed. So now I am confused. I don't think it's a satisfactory thing for Winston to to double-cross John. It doesn't fit at all for me. You didn't feel like he... so much of his character is tied to the hotel and that, like... at the Yeah, point, like, he does desperately want that hotel. And that... Like, um, but, then he, but then why would he have helped John in the first place? Surely he has the better understanding than anyone that he needs to play by the rules and the rules are important and you can't show favouritism when... The, the cardinal rule of the hotel has been breached. So if you're going to then show him showing that favoritism, then you need to play that out all the way through. Well, but I, I, the way I read it was that basically he thought, like he underestimated the consequences that were at play, right? That he, mm, like John, maybe. didn't understand the full extent of the consequences that were... Maybe. I mean, yeah. Yeah, anyway. I can see that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, okay. But we're going to need more. They are going to have to have a showdown, and we need to get more explicit answers about what happened there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Mags, did you want to add anything to that sort of final betrayal? Or... Oh, no, I was sort of thinking the same vein as Anadra. I was surprised when he shot him and then not surprised when John Wick was not there at the bottom. And then when um, Winston had that kind of twinkle in his eye, I thought that, aha, they've kind of colluded and had a plan. But then so do you think they've they... colluded? Is that the way you guys read that scene, that there was collusion there? That Winston... I ah. That's what I thought, because there's that sense that Winston had given the adjudicator that this wasn't just about him, the hotel, and the high table. This was about New York as, um, as a territory ah. and the high table. So, so col- was... yeah. Go on, Max. Oh, so I was wondering whether or not they're kind of setting up John Wick 4 as New York versus everywhere else. Oh, and you're thinking so- that Winston is getting John to gather the forces of New York to overthrow the high table. So yeah. collusion would make perfect sense. Because one thing about this movie that is not sitting well at all with me is that the argument that Winston uses to convince John to help him is, I think, really compelling and a real issue with this movie that John is went on this killing spree because he was in pain from his wife dying. But ultimately, he has to come to terms with that loss and understand that his wife would not have wanted that for him. And he cannot honor her and their love by going back to that world. Like, he needs to get out of it. And he'd come to that conclusion. And then it's like they forgot all about that. And he's back on... I'm going to destroy everybody by the end of the movie. So that's really weird. On the other hand, if they had colluded in order to take down the high table so that John can finally get out, then it all makes more sense. Mm. I don't know. Well, I guess it is good. Well, like, I mean, it shows that there's multiple readings of that ending. And I guess mm. good on the good on the filmmakers for making it a open-ended, ambiguous style of ending mm. they just have to land it like I mean it's hard to land things <laughs> as we've seen last week it's hard to land things so I really hope they land it if you rush them if you rush it's hard to land <laughs> um okay well look we've talked at length about John Wick 3 I think I think we're pretty much done right mm-hmm. yeah yeah yep. yeah um, yeah, look, I, I, I think overall, I think everyone around this table agrees that it was a pretty solid film, like, pretty fun, well, really intense action film with very innovative action sequences. Um, some of the violence may be a little bit too intense, but generally a pretty good film and a pretty fitting entry into the, into the John Wick franchise, although it may not necessarily surpass John Wick 1, but... Yeah, if you have the time, you should go see it, because it's pretty cool, stylish, hard action. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining me this week. Um, and we'll be back next week, um, probably still commiserating about Game of Thrones, but we'll be back with something else next week. Okay, thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye!